All right, well, um, let me grab my Bible here. We're, uh, we're still in Genesis. We will be for a long time. And this week, um, we're going to get into Genesis uh, chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 starts God's dealing with Abraham. And there's just, there's just a ton uh, here. And I, I was trying to... I was, I was looking at the next few because ch- you know it kind of goes on for like ten chapters, uh, but but it, 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 there's other things involved. You know, it kind of weaves in and out of various other stories. Um, there's the whole Isaac uh, Ishmael thing in there. There's the Melchizedek thing in there. You know, there's different things that are weaved in, and I was trying to decide whether I should try to take Abraham as one kind of unit and then come back to some of those other things. I think I'm just gonna. Since we've been kind of doing it, um, you know, chapter by chapter, I think I'm just going to kind of do it th- that way, and, and basically today try to introduce a, the, the, the some of the major types and shadows and themes that I think are present in the story of Abraham, and then um, and look look at some of these verses here in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, which are really really important. I mean. They're just. It seems like every year they they just seem to be filled up with more and more reality in, in my heart. The way God deals with uh, this man, and then, but uh, you know, and then we'll take a few side tracks as as the scriptures take those side tracks and kind of keep weave back in and deal with more of Abraham later. But but um, everything about this about. God's relationship, or what God does with Abraham, is uh, an incredible, enormous type and shadow. And you don't have to. I mean, I know I say this like a broken record, but seriously, you don't. You don't have to like guess if if this is speaking beyond just the natural day and time and covenant of Abraham. This is the the whole New Testament is constantly referencing Abraham. As a picture of so many different things, you know, you have, you have like half the book of Romans just keeps constantly talking about Abraham and as, you know, as, as these, you know, picture or, or a shadow or whatever figure, whatever language you want to use. But there's these themes that you see in Abraham from the very beginning before the law even came in. That's Paul's point. You see things like justification by faith. You see circumcision given and what, what circumcision means. Paul brings that in, in Colossians chapter two. Uh, you see uh, faith versus works involved here in Abraham's life. You see the whole issue of the seed, the seed of Abraham, you, the blessings that are for all the nations in Abraham. I mean, all these things are things that the New Testament is just is referring to. Not only that, Jesus talks about Abraham saw my day, and he he rejoiced he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. He's talking about seeing it from afar or seeing it uh, in, in his dealing with Isaac by faith or whatever. Uh, Hebrews chapter eleven talks about um, the uh, the fact that Abraham received Isaac back from the dead as a type and shadow of the resurrection. You can look that up. We we talked about that not too long ago in our Hebrews class. Um, Galatians uh, chapter 4 talks about Abraham's two sons representing the two Israels, the two covenants, um, the Jerusalem above, the Jerusalem below. I'm saying all that just because without, it's not like we're going, uh, 
<laughs> I figured, Michelle. Uh, it's not like we're we're going fishing here, trying to look for. There must be some secret way to decode this story of Abraham. The whole New Testament, Jesus and all the apostles refer to these stories as uh, pictures and and. Uh, I don't know, patterns, I guess, of spiritual things. So that's what we're looking at them for. That's why we're, 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 we're going back to them and we're seeing that we're trying to see the same things the apostles saw. And, and of course, as, as we've talked about so many times, the goal is never, uh, the, never knowledge for knowledge's sake. The, the goal is always an experience of the grace of God. Or you could say, you're never trying to learn these things to learn them. You're trying to see them so that the thing being seen becomes an experience in your soul. That's what we're after, okay? And I always have this uh, this fear that people will will, will listen to these classes or or, or, or or you know study the Old Testament with this I don't know this like Bible decoding glasses on that you get out of a Cracker Jack box or something, just like looking for secret codes and stuff. I mean, th- th- it is a testimony. It does point beyond the the uh, the natural time and events and covenant. and it all, it all points to Christ in one way or another. And yet the purpose isn't to figure it out or to have the knowledge about it. The purpose is to live in the reality that's being described by it. Okay, I just want to make that really clear. Like every once in a while, I'm just going to say that again because um, that's really important. All right, so as as you go through the story of Abraham, uh, you're going to see a whole bunch of different themes that come up again and again. There's there's promise, uh, the the whole issue of God's promise and blessing and inheritance. There's the issue of the seed. There's the issue of the increase, the issue of the land or this habitation of uh, this land that he's bringing him into. There's this uh, there's this journey of faith that you see with Abraham that foreshadows our own. Um, there's this leaving behind the first, going into the second. There's the revelation of the land, the lifting up his eyes and, and looking and the seeing of the inheritance that God has given him. Um, there's death and resurrection involved in um, in, in several pictures, and, and Sarah's dead womb bringing forth the seed of promise, and Isaac, uh, the son who was sacrificed but given back. You know, there's uh, flesh versus spirit in um, Abraham's attempts to make the seed, and he comes out with Ishmael, and you know, there's just all of these things. They're all right there. They're they're. It's just like the 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 the, the the stories of Abraham are just like dripping with like overflowing with with God's testimony testimony of his own son and, and what's true and real in him and what's and, and, and the division of the cross and, and, and all of that's right there. And again, I say again, don't take my word for it. Just read the New Testament. Look at how Jesus and the authors of the New Testament spoke about Abraham. It's everywhere. Okay, so let's start with these uh, first verses of Genesis. Let me just read here. Genesis 1, I'm sorry, Genesis 12, 1. All right, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your... This is the very first thing. Okay, 
the very, as far as we know, this is the very first thing that God said to Abraham. The very first dealing of the Lord. Get out is the very first thing he says. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Every word there is important. Get out. And that's, that's the first thing God says to you too. I mean, it's not mean that the first thing we understand. Um, maybe the first thing we understand is, you know, Jesus is real and he's the answer to my sin or something. I don't know. But from, from, from a God point of view, from a God's eye view, what he's actually doing to your soul, what he's actually dealing with your soul about is get out from what you call your country, what you call your family, and what you call your inheritance, your father's house. And, and, and go to a land that I will reveal to you. Go to a land that I will show you. And then he goes on. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth uh, shall be blessed. All right. Again, the God's call to the human soul, the gospel, salvation, is let me put it let me put it in the contrast. The human heart, the human mind is always looking for a religion, looking for a ver- version of Christianity that involves bringing God into what I call my life and using him there for for blessing for protection for guidance for whatever okay that's that is what the human heart cries out for that's really and, and if you and if you want to get a whole lot of people into a building and 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 singing songs about god then it it's not hard to do it you just basically present a version of god that has man at the center and God coming into man's life for man's reasons to bless and protect and benefit man. Okay, if you can do that and can you have a good, you know, a charismatic personality and, and a decent, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, appearance and a nice suit, <clears throat> then then you can you can get lots of people to to love that every single week. And even when it doesn't work, there's always like. 15 different ways to like back out of it or, 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 or make it the person's fault or, you know, you don't have enough faith or I don't you just, you know, you have sin in your life. You can always kind of, you can keep the thing going. I mean, because that's what religion does. And I'm not just talking about religion outside of the church. I'm talking about the church too. This is, this is just human heart. Okay. What is, what does man want to do? We want to find a God to, to have a God to, to serve a God, but really by serving this imaginary God, we're serving ourselves. That, that's, that's why we like to serve God, is because when we serve the God of our own creation, we actually get to serve ourselves. We actually get to, to, to buy, whether it's by our little tithe that somehow automatically gets multiplied ten times back, or whatever idea that we think we have about that stuff, we're actually blessing ourselves, you know? We feel spiritual, we feel righteous, we feel protected, we feel blessed, God's got our back, we've got the parachute on, spiritually speaking, in case the plane goes down, it's all good, you know? And uh, and so, all, all of, 
<coughs> all of religion in the heart of man is trying to do this one thing. And, and, and it involves the exact opposite of what God says to Abraham here. And I just think that's just so striking. God's call to Abraham was to leave. To, to go out from something that he called his life and his, his place and his family and his inheritance and to, and to go on to something else. And he didn't even tell him what it was. It was something else that had to be shown to him. Okay? That's what the journey of Christianity is. Now, you can look at that in so many different stories. That's Noah's story. God didn't come in and fix the problem, and he he destroyed it and took Noah out of it through the, through a judgment. You know that's the story of Abraham. That's the story of Lot. That's the story of Israel coming out of Egypt. That's the story of Joseph and his brothers. That's the story of Rahab. That's the story of Ruth. It's it's always this story. God takes you out of your country, kindred, and father's house, and he brings you into something that is so utterly and totally foreign. And then he tries to get you to see it and live there and stay there. Now, Abraham had a few issues. We'll get to this next time or probably. He had a few issues staying there. He had a few issues lifting up his eyes and seeing his inheritance. In fact, he tried to bring some stuff with him that wasn't part of his inheritance. Same thing we do. But it was never about God going to Ur of Chaldees or wherever he was from, you know, it wasn't God going to his land and blessing him where he was. In fact, I remember, I just did another story. Uh, well, I'll get to that. That's, that that's, a, that's a longer bunny trail. <clears throat> so what I'm trying to point out here is that right here, we're facing one of the, the biggest misunderstandings. In, right here in this, in this one verse, you know, get out. We're facing one of the biggest, I think, one of the biggest misunderstandings in the church. The church is trying to pull God down. And God sent his son to bring you out. Now, now look at the types and shadows. What did the angels do in Lot? I mean, in, in the Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. You know, the two witnesses, they come in there and they pull them out. Same thing, what did Moses and Aaron do with, 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 with Egypt? You know, they went in there, they were sent of God, pictures of Christ, they go in, and they pull them out. You know, uh, what did, what happened with Rahab the harlot? The two spies, the, the, the two, there's always two witnesses involved, two spies, whatever, but uh, the, the, the two, they go in, and what do they, what do they, do they, do they offer her the salvation of her, her, her city and her land? No, they say, look, all this is going to be destroyed. But if, but if you want to come out, if you want to paint this judgment, if you want to put the scarlet over your window, then you, you, you can come out and, and, and be, be part of Israel. But we're not saving this city, you know. Well, it, it's that story. God invites you out and in to somewhere else. He brought you out. There's a passage in Deuteronomy I quote a lot. That he brought you out that he might bring you in and give you the land that he swore to your fathers. He brought you out so that he might bring you in and give you a, the land that he swore to your fathers. And going out, you don't bring anything with you. 
man, that's another thing. We just, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on, pick on the church or I just, I see this in myself. I see it in everybody. I see it in, you know, all my conversations with folks. We just hate this stuff. I mean, it's like we, it's just so contrary to how we naturally think and about religion and about God. It's like, we want God. I mean, what's our standard view of heaven? It's just like I get to go to a better place and take all the good things that I liked here with me and have them, you know, and there I can also fly, you know, and it's like I have all the great stuff that I had here plus more and like the cables free or I don't know. You know, I've heard, I've heard the, some of the lamest, um, funeral messages about, um, I mean, some of them are just outstandingly creative but um it's it's all about it's all about taking the best of the earth with you and i'm telling you you're not going to find that i mean you're not going to find that in the bible i mean i I know you can twist a few stories here and there and maybe make something look like that if you wanted to people do it all the time but but it's not in these types and shadows in the old testament and it's certainly not anything jesus said about losing your life to gain his and it's certainly not the experience of the apostles that you read about in the New Testament. I mean, you, you got to be pretty creative to talk about, you know, go, going to heaven with your golden fishing pole and catching a 90-pound catfish, you know. Or, that's one of the ones I heard at a, at a sermon uh, in, a, in a funeral one time. Um, it's just not there. You go out and you leave one world, one man, one nature behind. And to whatever extent you bring it with you, in the unrenewed mind, to whatever extent you drag it with you into that land, the Lord appears, as he did to Abraham, again and again and again, and until everything that doesn't belong in that land and isn't part of that inheritance is no longer part of what you're carrying with you in your heart. And that's, that's, that's the journey. And, and and we'll we'll get to that in, in a second. But the the actual physical journey was really quick. Now, uh, I'll just point this out because because we just were reading it. But lo- look at Genesis twelve five. Okay, the physical journey is here. It is. Uh, so Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in, Har- in Haran, and they departed to go to the land. Here's the part I want to point out. They departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. There you go. That's that's the journey. I mean, for, for, from a physical standpoint, it's a third of one verse. They They departed to go to Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. It's over. But the whole rest of these 10 chapters isn't about getting to Canaan because that part's over like that. The whole rest of this journey is about living in Canaan, abiding in Canaan, seeing Canaan, finding the inheritance in Canaan, letting go of the things that don't belong in Canaan, separating from the things that he's brought with him to Canaan. See, it's just like every other picture. It's, it's like when you're born again, you know? God says, you want, my, you want my son? You want life? Bam! There he is. You have him. You have the full, you're, you, you, you're in Canaan. You're in Christ. Now, do you know Christ? 
What have you brought with you into Christ? What's the journey? The journey isn't going somewhere. It's not like, first you go to Canaan, and we're going to catch a boat across the Mediterranean Sea, and we're going to go to Italy. And then, No. The journey is over as soon as it begins. From It's like, you know, you want to get out of Egypt? Boom, you're out of Egypt. One day. He strikes them, paints the blood on the door, they're gone. Okay? And then 40 years of trying to get Egypt out of their heart. 40 years of refusing to get Egypt out of their heart. So, in verse 5 here, the physical finished work from God's point of view is always, <coughs> is always not the big deal. It's, it's over. He gives it to you, the whole thing, right away. The journey that then ensues is a journey of faith, a journey of possession, a journey of seeing and knowing and living in the reality. And I kind of jumped ahead of myself there. I want to back up a little bit um, to, 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 to how God begins to deal with this man, a- 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 Abraham. Now, I think back in, uh, when we were talking about Noah, we talked about how God... <clears throat> uh, God began it's like all of all of the natural man adam had 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 corrupted his way in the earth and god says all the thoughts of his heart are only evil all the time and all of that and then he kind of wipes out one uh humanity and he starts over with one new man noah and those who are joined to him in the ark and that's actually the language of how it says it we talked about that i think when we went through it. But it's a picture of Christ, the cross, putting away the Adamic man and starting over with one new man uh, and those who are joined to him in his resurrection. Well, it's a similar thing that kind of happens here. God, you know, Noah was just a type and shadow of the solution of Christ. He wasn't really Christ. He wasn't really a, a new man. He was just a picture of it. And so, you know, before too long, the whole world is filled with, again, with uh, the fallen Adamic man. And so, so God begins to deal with Abraham in, in a little bit of a similar way that he that he started to deal with Noah. It's it's a type and shadow. It's a picture of Christ, and it, it, he starts to deal with this one particular man and those who are joined to him as his seed. Now, now that's. Uh, that's, or, or you could say, those who are in his bosom. That, that, that's the language that that Jesus uses. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> it's, it's really important that we understand why Abraham was special. There is so much imagination and foolishness in the church today about Abraham and the Jews and the natural land and stuff. Abraham was not a, a special kind of Adamic man. He wasn't like a notch above the rest of, of, of the Adamites that were running around the world. His, his specialness or his uniqueness was in how God was using him or what God was using him for. He, it's like Noah. God says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God began to relate to Noah as a picture of Christ. God began to relate to Noah as this living type and shadow of, of, of judgment and salvation and, 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 and being raised up in a new creation and a new covenant and all that. Those, those who are in Abraham, those who are part of the seed that, the, 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 the seed of Abraham were chosen to to 
paint this spiritual picture of what was to come in Christ. That's why they're special. Okay, Everything that God is doing with this man and with this special seed, which was a natural, again, a natural picture of a spiritual reality, that's very, very plainly said in Galatians chapter, th- chapter 3. The seed was always Christ. It, he, Paul says in verses 16 and 19 in Galatians chapter 3, it was never talking about seeds, many, the plural, a bunch of Jewish people. It was always speaking of seed, singular, that is Christ. And in fact, it says that all the promises made to the seed of Abraham were made to Christ in verse 19. So you can check that out in your own time, but it's just, it's really, really clear there. And, it, and it's also super clear in Romans too, where, where he says, <clears throat> what's special about the, Paul says, what, so what's so special about the Jews? They were entrusted with the oracles of God. They had the promises. They had the law. They had the things that pointed to Christ. They carried the testimony. And he gives this list. It, he says, look, spiritually speaking, Jew and Gentile are the same. They're all under sin. They're all slaves to sin. They all need to be crucified with Christ. They all need to be put away uh, through, through the death of, of, of Christ. In fact, Paul says like four different times in different letters, there is no such thing in Christ as a Jew or a Gentile because flesh doesn't make it to the other side of the cross. All flesh is crucified. There's no. You can look as hard as you want in Christ from a spiritual perspective. You're never going to find a Jew. You're never going to find a Chinese. You're never going to find a Costa Rican. You're never going to find Jason Henderson as, as, as a man in the flesh. What you find is one new man and, the, and, and, and souls that have been joined to him in resurrecting life. Okay, and it's not Jewishness or Chineseness or whateverness you want to add to it. It's not there in Christ. In fact, Paul says there's not even male and female in Christ. Those are natural distinctions in the flesh on the earth that are temporary things that have to do with life on planet Earth, not spiritual life in Christ. So, uh, anyway, so but Abraham and his seed were special. But you know, I thought you just said they weren't. Spe- well, they're special in what God was doing with them. They're special in how God was was using using them. They, they were special in that they received and carried the all the thing. They were stewards of the things that pointed to and testified of Christ. But they were not different in nature. In fact, God went to to uh, to to great extremes to demonstrate to us clearly i mean he couldn't have done it more clearly that the nat- that it never was about the natural lineage of abraham because people say oh yeah no yeah i'm a, i'm a i'm a jew people even today still say so i mean it's like yeah i'm a jew so i'm part of these great promises of god i'm like i just want to say are you kidding me but um <clears throat> but a, a, God, and here's part of the reason I want to say, are you kidding me? Because even the natural seed of Abraham was always pointed out by God as not being the issue. For instance, Abraham had Ishmael. Ishmael was the natural seed of Abraham. And if we're talking about a special bloodline, if we're talking about a special Adamic man, well, then... Abraham, Abraham's firstborn son, Ishmael, should have some kind of spiritual significance. But God makes it so clear that that natural, flesh-born seed of Abraham has absolutely nothing to do 
with God's inheritance. And demonstrates that in type and shadow again, but that Isaac, the seed of promise, the seed born by the, born by the Spirit, the seed who comes out of a dead womb of Sarah, the seed who's sacrificed and given back, that, that only because of these pictures of Christ that are involved in Isaac is this seed different. Not because Abraham had bluer or Isaac had bluer eyes than Ishmael, and Ishmael had a, I don't know, like a like a double chin or something. It's not about anything natural. That's the point. The point is, God is saying, it's not Abraham's descendant, it's not Abraham's seed according to the flesh, it's Abraham's seed according to the types and shadows of Christ. And then he does it again. He does it first with Ishmael and Isaac, and then he does it with Jacob and Esau. Now, you could say, well, yeah, Ishmael, you know, he was, he was the son of Hagar, and uh, that's... You know, that's why. No, okay. So then both the sons of Isaac. Isaac's, remember, Isaac's the seed of promise. You could, you could make an argument. No, Isaac's the real guy. So then both the seed, both the sons of Isaac, Jacob and Esau, are pure Abraham lineage blood. I mean, no Hagar involved. They come from, uh, uh, Sarah and then, and then, uh, uh, Rebecca. And here's these two, and yet here, here is the same story again. One of them has nothing to do, and it becomes an enemy of Israel, has nothing to do with the promise. You, you see my point? One is cut off and one is accepted. Why? Because Jacob comes to represent Christ in all these different types. He's the one that's clothed, and we'll, we'll get to that sometime soon. Um, but, but Esau is not. And so, what's the point? The point is that God was never talking about a natural bloodline or a natural race. He was talking about a very specific man, a very specific seed in whom he would relate to mankind and that very specific man, that very specific seed, just as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, was always Jesus Christ. So the greatness of Israel, and and, and, and don't let anyone... Don't let, with all the hype and all the stuff going on now about natural Israel and whatever, don't let anyone ever tell you that the greatness of Israel was anything other than the types and shadows of Christ. Because that's why Israel was great. Israel was, I mean, they were never great in the flesh. Look at what they did. Look at how they lived. But how did God see Israel? Exodus 4.22 Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Israel is this corporate body that's going to bear the law, the the, the righteousness, the sacrifices, the feasts, the testimony, the, the priesthood. All of these things that point to Jesus Christ, that's why they're special. They, they were special as a living testimony. The greatness of Abraham was who he pointed to. The greatness of Isaac was who he pointed to. The greatness of Old Covenant Israel was who they pointed to and never, ever what they were in the flesh. Ever. In fact, I mean, we could go through lists of verses where God makes that so explicitly clear. Like, for instance, in Deuteronomy, before they go into the land, God says, wait a minute, before we go in here, guys, let's just get something something really, really clear. Don't think... That because you're better than this nation that we're driving out 
That's why I'm, ha- I'm giving you this land. Don't, don't think that. Don't think it's because of your own righteousness or your own account. You are a stiff-necked, rebellious, grumbling. And he just goes on and gives them this big list. Don't, don't think it's because of who you are in the flesh. It's because of who I am and what I'm demonstrating through you that I'm going to fill this land with my glory. Don't, don't make the mistake of trying to make distinctions in the flesh because I don't. I mean, I'm speaking for God here. I don't. The whole... Adamic man is rejected. And only one man is the seed in whom all of God's promises and blessings and inheritance are yes and amen. And you've got to find your way through the cross into that one. Into that one who is the the, the promised seed of God. Okay, so... uh, Returning now back to... <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. Uh, that's why God begins to talk about all this greatness and these blessings are found in Abraham because he's talking about, he's, he's, he's beginning this huge uh, pattern and picture of this type and shadow of Christ, this new seed, this one in whom um, man, if, if they're joined to this seed, this man and this seed, then they are going to experience blessing. Outside of them, outside of Abraham, there's going to be cursing. Just like outside of Christ, outside the boundaries of Christ, there's no life. Just outside the boundaries of the covenant, there's no life. So, yeah, those who come into Abraham or those who are part of Abraham in types and shadows... You know, are blessed, and those who are not are not, and the greatness of the seed is is there in him, and and it's all pointing to a man in whom God would relate to a very specific seed. I think that's why Jesus talks about. There's that verse in. Um, let me pull it up here. Remember, it's a kind of an obscure little verse in Luke 16, but Jesus is talking about um, Luke 16. He, it's like a little parable about the, the 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 beggar named Lazarus, not the Lazarus that he brought back from the dead, but the one that was like there was a beggar and a rich man. Remember, <clears throat> and then it says uh, in verse sixteen twenty two, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out. Remember that story? And what's that all about? Well, he's using the same, uh, he's using the same language of that from Genesis chapter 12. It's the ones who are in, I mean, he's really talking about himself, the ones who are in Christ, the ones who are in, hidden with Christ in God. You know, that's Abraham's bosom, but he's using, he's talking to the Jews, he's using the language that they're familiar with, the ones that come to find this blessing and this greatness in Abraham. Okay? So, all right. How are we doing on time? Okay, so, um, this, this second part of this first verse here, where it says, a land I will show you. This is, uh, this is just again. I mean, we could talk about this. I, I, I mean, it'd be fun to do it, but and we and we will as we go through because it's going to keep popping up. But Abraham can't just find the inheritance. God doesn't just like write him a you know a map. It, it, it's not like um, you know follow these clues 
and uh, ask the old lady that lives by the well. She'll tell you where the land. And it's not anything like that. It's the from the very outset. From the very outset, it is an exodus unto a land that has to be shown. It has to be revealed. And and it's always see God always treats, and this is this is something that is just, again it's one of those things that just keeps standing out in 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 the stories. As you as you read through the Old Testament, you know, kind of again and again, a lot of times, uh, you know, the details. A lot of times the details are, are kind of confusing and, and they're overwhelming and <clears throat> and, and you, you kind of just like oh what is all this stuff about like you know like goat's milk or something and, and you know you, you don't catch stuff you just kind of get kind of some of the big picture stuff you read through it again and and I've just found that th- there's these little things that that uh, you, you know little by little I don't try to stress out about it or worry about it if I don't understand it or anything but but uh, little by little some of these details like you just start noticing that they, they start lining up like this is the same thing that happened with so and so the exact same thing happened here and here and here and here and here and one of those things that that just you know that I was going to mention here is that God always treats his inheritance as something that man can't find or see or obtain of himself whether whether it's the whether it's the, the the inheritance that God promised to Abraham and and the whole you know here he is waiting fifteen years have gone by God I think I'm gonna do this like Plan B thing with Hagar you know and and he does he thinks he kind of got it going it's working got a kid now and God's like who's Ishmael you know or or whether it's whether it's the land, you know, he goes to the land of Canaan, and, and here it is, the, the land God promised me. And he looks up, looks around, and it, there's a drought, and and it's and there's a famine in the land, you know, or 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 uh, Israel, you know, they're going they're going to the Jordan, and the, the whole generation has has died, and and they're right there at the banks of the Jordan, about to cross in, and the Jordan's a small river. It's not like the you know the Mississippi where you got to like take a boat across or something. It's just this little you could wade across it most places. You know, I think I looked it up once. It's like fifteen meters or something. It's not not that big. And uh, and yet God talks about going into the land. He's like, look, you can't get in. You have to follow the ark. The ark's got to go first. You got to keep a distance so that you can see the ark in front of you because you haven't gone this way before. Before, and I can picture the people saying, "I can see it. It's it's just like right over there. It's I can see the other side. In fact, I can see like several miles, you know, uh, on a clear day." And God's like, "No, no, 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 no. Where you're going." You have no idea. You you can't. It's completely foreign to you. You're not going to be able to know it, experience it, see it. It's it's some it's 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 holy ground. In fact, as soon as they go over there and cut off all the foreskins to show that they can't bring anything again, can't bring anything from the old over into the new, then then Joshua meets the Lord. You know, the angel of the Lord, and he says, "Are you on our team or on their team?" And, and the angel just says, "Take off your shoes." You have no idea where you are. You're on holy ground. You just come onto my side. You just come into me. You know, you don't even understand what's going on. There's no teams here. I, I'm, I'm the Lord, and, <clears throat> and so, I don't know. I just say that because, uh, God is always needing to. 
he he never just points to something and say, "Hey, look, that's your inheritance." You know, it's it's that uh, you know golden goose that's sitting over there on top of of that stool. You know, it's it's you can't find a type and shadow like that, and you're not going to experience the fulfillment of it like that in your heart either. It's you have to let him bring you in and show it to you. You can't just make yourself see it. You can't just make yourself take it. In fact, on Friday night we were talking, um, uh, I think Julie brought it up about how the, you know, they refused to go into the land. And then, you know, then, then, uh, they, you know, some of them said, oh, yeah, you know, oh, God said, forget it, you know. You're going to wander around in the wilderness, and then they all kind of had this idea they could do it with their with their own strength and with their own power. And they decided, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go in now. And they went in there and they got beat up. It was you know, got two two minutes earlier, God was going saying, go on in and take it. It's all yours. These people can't stand before you. And then <clears throat> a few minutes later, they're trying to do it in their own strength, with their own sight and their own understanding and their own whatever, and they can't even beat a small group of people that are guarding the the, the border. You know. It's impossible. Man cannot do it. And so in every way, our experience of this salvation is something that has to be revealed to us. It's foreign to your soul. you'll, You'll never connect the dots and figure it out. You'll never read the Bible enough and just get it. Even reading the Bible, you have to do... What does God keep saying to Abraham? Lift up your eyes, Abraham, and behold. Lift up... There's a lifting up of your eyes to see the thing that God has given. And everything about knowing Christ, about seeing our inheritance, every... There's never... I, I know I'm stressing this hard, but I just want to, I want to do it. It's just so true. Because there's never, you're never going to see something in Christ, in His light, and say, I thought that was going to be what it was like, or I thought so, or that's what I read and I thought, you know, that's what I already concluded, or that's what so and so, so and so told me. If that's happening, you're not seeing the Lord. <laughs> it's never like that. It is always, a shock to the system. It's another country, kindred, and father's house. It's another realm. It's it's another reality. And it strikes you with all the foreignness and otherness of something that you could never have conceived in a million years. As high as the heavens are above the, 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 the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours. Or however he says that. <clears throat> and so... It's a new kind of land. It's a new kind of light. It's a new kind of victory. It's a new kind of realm. It's a, and you have not gone this way before. And if, if we can just accept that, the journey actually goes a lot easier. If you can accept, I was just reading this, uh, this book of Sparks, uh, called, I think it's like from the, from, from the wilderness to the land or something like that. And he was talking about, the the distance between Egypt and um, the Promised Land is the difference between Adam and Christ, and so long as we try to 
refuse to see and know and accept that unbelievable difference, then we, then we can't actually make that journey. We don't actually go anywhere. As long as we try to make it something that we know, something familiar, as long as we try to bring our Egypt thoughts with us and our understanding and our concepts and our man-centered, man-based religious idea, to, to whatever extent that that difference doesn't become the journey of our soul, then, then, then you don't actually go. You don't actually go anywhere. And I, re I really appreciated what he was, what he was saying in that book. But again, and, and, and let me say this just to emphasize, it's a finished work. The journey itself is done the moment he takes you out of one and transfers you uh, into the <coughs> into the other. Oh yeah, it's called from the wilderness to the land. That's Ryan just texted me the the name there. So uh, the uh, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> they departed to go to the land of Canaan. They came to the land of Canaan. It's done. They arrived, and the real focus of the story, the real focus of Abraham's journey is not getting from one place to another. It is the internal journey of seeing and abiding and living in what God has has given us. So, um, alright, let me say a couple more things here. And then I'll, I'll wrap it up, but <coughs> you you begin to see, um, again, you, you begin, you begin this, one of the things that catches my attention here, and, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but I just, just I'll mention this and then I'll stop. One of the things that, that, that draws my attention is that Abraham's journey has to do with the, the reoccurrence of these altars. Now, if you, if you look throughout the, the, the Old Testament, these altars, they're, they're pictures of really they're, they're pictures of the the work of the cross, but specifically our experience of the work of the cross. You could say the the, the altars aren't just the work itself. It's really almost us as the altar experiencing the burning away of one thing and the and the and the presenting to God or the offering giving over to God of something else. Okay, and that's how I see the altars working in the uh, the tabernacle too. Um, you know, in, in in a very real sense, the the death at the door in, in, in Exodus chapter twelve was a was a finished work. They already came out of Egypt. They already came into covenant with God, and yet there's this altar that stands there at the door of the tabernacle, and it has to do with the cross, but it has to do with the cross working. In Israel, it has to do with the cross, both consuming and and offering up to God <coughs> what He is looking for in the midst of His people. But when Abraham arrives, the very first thing he does when he arrives, I think it's verse seven in chapter twelve. It says he built an altar to the Lord that appeared to him, and then he has this little excursion of unbelief in Egypt. 
He comes back and God brings him right back to the same altar and begins dealing with him about the same stuff. And then later in the same chapter, uh, God deals with him about Lot and he separates from Lot and he says, lift up your eyes and he sees a greater view of the land and he there's another altar involved. He builds an altar to the Lord. And then, you know, later on in the story, there, there there's another altar involved associated with the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. And and I believe, in, in a lot of ways, and we'll look at these as we go through it, but I believe these altars are representative of God's activity in Abraham, working the reality of the cross in him so that he's able to live, you could say, uh, live in what God has given him or live free from what God has cut off from him or present to God the fullness of all that God has provided to him. I guess in in very simple, plain language, the altars are these the the work of God to... uh, the work of the cross, the work of God in Abraham to cause him to experience the fullness and the greatness of his salvation. All right, I'll stop with that.